read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. As we heard in the previous segments, North Carolina is on the precipice of enacting deeply problematic legislation that would turn back the clock a half century and insert state government officials into the most private and intimate reproductive health care decisions of pregnant North Carolinians. As I also learned in a conversation earlier this week with Gina Dillon, the policy and advocacy manager at the triangle-based global reproductive health organization IPASS, the bill runs counter to trends around the globe that generally favor an expansion of reproductive freedom. Well, Gina Dillon, welcome back to News and Views. Thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. So obviously a sobering topic today. We've been talking on News and Views about the subject of the legislation in the North Carolina General Assembly that Governor Cooper, as we record this, has promised a veto on abortion rights. Your organization, IPASS, works around the world to promote reproductive freedom. And now sort of the very thing your organization champions is in huge and immediate jeopardy here in your home state. Give us your take on this legislation that uh, has uh, worked its way through both houses of the General Assembly. We do work globally, but I have born and raised in North Carolina. So, of course, taking very much to heart what's happening here. It's shocking. It's embarrassing because of, you know, just procedurally, even just looking at that alone, this is really outside of the normal spectrum of how we make policy and to be doing it in violation of basic rights, like the right to health, a life with dignity, health care. You know, it's just it's so blatant and it's really sad because North Carolina really has been in these last several months a safe haven for abortion access. And we're really you know, now we're just all together. The South is, is a really red zone when it comes yeah. to accessing abortion. It's a sobering moment. The sponsors, who are perhaps cynical but very savvy in their politics, have figured out a way to craft a bill that they can at least tell people is sort of, it's a kind of a compromise bill. It's um, it's a middle of the road. It sort of represents in line with other, you know, what's being done around the globe. And my take from the literature is that that's not really true, but I wonder you're more skilled and more knowledgeable in this area. Talk to us about what this bill really does and and whether it it's it really is sort of quote unquote compromise legislation. What it does is it walks back rights that existed before it was enacted, right? Like people are not going to be able to get care the way they could before. It will be harder. So people's rights have been taken away. And to say anything less than that is just inaccurate when it comes to this law. And you're right that globally, the trend is towards liberalization and expanding the grounds on which people can get abortions. So this is a trend in the wrong direction. I think that when people talk about it as a compromise, they're talking about the political reality that this is North Carolina, that we were, as I said, a a safe haven state, which meant that there was pretty broad progressive support in our legislature. Um, And as we know, the flip-flop of Representative Trisha Cotham is really what's going to allow this to go forward, but beyond that. And so when you're talking about a political issue like abortion, you have to do it in a way that's more palatable to this more balanced Congress here. You know, I can understand why that's how they're maneuvering this politically, but it is just a way of uh, hiding what it really is um, and trying to make it sound less damaging, less wrong. Right. I mean, the the thing, of course, that gets lifted up in headlines and 12-week ban, a 12-week ban. But a point of fact, first of all, there's there's no, as I understand it, no 
particular medical reason to pick 12 weeks. It has no relevance other than just a political number. But even from the moment of conception, there will now be enormous new and burdensome hurdles for those who would seek abortion care. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's really where the impact of this will be felt the most. It's We can't forget, as egregious as this law and its details are, this will affect people who need abortions and the people who are there meant who are meant to help them get them. And it will make it harder psychologically, emotionally. They will feel more isolated. The advocacy movement in North Carolina is strong and robust. So there are vocal champions out there. But when you're talking about an individual living in rural North Carolina who finds themselves pregnant and needs to not be pregnant, the community around them has a much higher level of hostility or it will over time if this kind of law is, you know, remains entrenched, not just in the law books, but in, in the psyches of our policymakers. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we can normalize a restrictive abortion environment. And that's, you know, speaking from our experience, we know what it looks like to see a restrictive abortion law just become normalized and what it takes to overcome that and see progress. And as I said earlier, that's the direction we are seeing laws trending in these highly restrictive settings. I mean, look in Latin America, we're seeing those restrictions. People are taking to the streets with enough force that we can change that, Uh, but it's not easy and it takes a long time. So they've really rolled us back to a dangerous future. We're talking to Gina Dillon of the Triangle-Based Global Reproductive Health Organization, IPASS, IPASS works around the world working to promote uh, reproductive freedom. Can you tell us, I mean, the reality is maybe we've seen some positive trends in some countries, but the reality is that in many parts of the world, women really are in a bad way when it comes to reproductive freedom. And what is the practical impact on their lives in those countries? And presumably that reality that now a lot of it's going to be the case for a lot of women in North Carolina. So in terms of the policy norms, we already see that reality here. So where, where we work we see in countries where abortion is only permitted in very extreme cases, like to save a person's life or in emergencies, we see policymakers who are openly opposed to abortion and who refuse to take meetings or even talk about it. Mm-hmm. And anti-abortion rhetoric is really common and it's institutionalized. And we can see that in the language of this bill, that there's just the rhetoric of it is there. In terms of the health system, we will start to see a lack of availability. We'll start to see access that's sort of more kind of in the shadows, under the tables. We may see, you know, different fees or or cost barriers for people to be able to get care. We will see more people. And what we see is more people coming in to the system with complications from trying an unsafe method of abortion or, you know, other post-abortion care. I think we're already hearing reports in this country of challenges with miscarriage management and ectopic pregnancies that, you know, we will see more of that. And then in terms of the community, you know, when laws like this are in place and entrenched, it doesn't take long for people to just kind of have very low knowledge about what's allowed and what's not allowed. You know, they're just hearing it's illegal now and they may not know all of the avenues for which they could get an abortion. If you couple this, as we often see, with a lack of comprehensive sexuality education for young people, you know, you've got a lack of understanding about the law and you've also got a younger generation coming up that simply doesn't understand or know how their body functions. And over time, we see people start to hold these really universally held beliefs that abortion is wrong. There's a lot of secrecy and unwillingness to talk about abortion. 
fear of persecution, rejection, isolation, the, the ultimate feeling that we see people have is that they feel that there's no one for them to turn to. Even though the 12-week ban, most abortions in North Carolina, I think, happen before 12 weeks, we do know that people who are younger, who maybe lack the resources needed to get to a safe abortion, they are also at greater risk of being investigated, arrested, or prosecuted. It would seem just intuitively logical that it'll be low-income people, people who are in rural communities further from care, are almost certainly the, the folks that will, will struggle the most, whereas wealthy people, people in big cities, probably much more likely to be able to figure out a path forward even under this new regime. Yeah, but that inequity will persist, and it's really hard to work on that. That's the tough daily community engagement work of talking with community members, building alliances across movements. You know, this fight is one in which we cannot be so siloed in terms of our advocacy and our movement building. You know, you can see how the gerrymandering issue, the voting rights piece, that's wrapped up in this, right? So we have to be aligned and understand how all of these efforts are a joint effort to hold power and oppress people. The good news in all of this is we come to the end of our time with Gina Dillon of the Triangle-Based Global Reproductive Health Organization, IPAS. The good news, I guess, if you want to call it that, that comes in the aftermath of this abortion legislation moving forward in North Carolina is that neither IPAS nor any of the pro-freedom groups that are around and working on this issue are going away, right? There will be uh, renewed energy given over to rolling these kinds of laws back and rebuilding a regime of of reproductive freedom. I, I take it that's got to be the approach y'all are bringing to this. Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway that could come out of this as a positive is that more people are talking about this. More people are getting clear about how they feel about this, because it's when we're silent on abortion that, that policymakers can kind of take it and use it to their advantage for some other purpose, likely holding power. But now we are talking about it. We're seeing it in the media all the time it would be really hard not to have family conversations or conversations with neighbors about it. And that's what we need to do is agree about how we want to treat people who need care and are, who are just trying to take control of their life. And why would we make that harder for them? And we know that public opinion polls continue to repeatedly show strong support in North Carolina, around the country for maintaining abortion rights. Gina, if people want to learn more about your organization, be a part of the work it does or support it? Where, where would they find that? Yeah, you can visit our website. It's www.ipass.org. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those all those places you can find us. That's ipass, I-P-A-S dot org. Gina, thanks so much for talking with us. We'll talk about this again real soon, I'm sure. Nice to speak with you. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncnewsline.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries wherever you get your podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views, a weekly look at state news, events, and public policy debates produced by North Carolina Newsline. Visit them online at ncnewsline.com.